0: Hello and welcome to Harvest Church podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. We're in the midst of a series called The Power of Predeciding, what it means to predecide ahead of the moment so that when we hit the moment, we already know how we're going to respond to what God is doing with us and through us. And so I'm going to jump into that, and we're going to carry on from where we were last week, and there's just a couple questions I want to ask as we start. The first thing I'm going to say is, I don't know about you, but I don't know about, sorry, I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone who plans to be overweight, I know a few of us, myself very much included, are trying to plan how to lose weight, but I don't know anyone who plans to be overweight. I don't know anyone who's got a five-year goal and plan to be bankrupt. I haven't met someone who says, George, this is what I'm doing. There might be some of us that have invested in crypto recently, and after seeing the recent market, we might feel like that in our plans, but I don't know anyone who actually plans that, and I don't know anyone who goes out and wants to do certain things that is going to put their marriage and their family and their household at risk. Now, I know people who love comfort eating. Uh, I know people who love comfort shopping or therapeutic accessorizing, whatever you might want to call it. I know people who like to seek comfort, and it often ends up being in all the wrong places, and we know what that's like. But I don't know anyone who actually plans to do something foolish, who actually plans to sin and run the risk of needing to hide it, otherwise they could lose the trust of the people closest to them and the respect of those near them. I don't know anyone who does that. And so chances are, when it comes to you and when it comes to me, when we're in this situation, we're not planning some of the foolish decisions that we're sometimes making. But the problem is we're also not planning not to make those decisions very often. And so we're going to talk about intentionality, about predeciding. And please, I'm not judging you. When I say to my son, uh, my six-year-old just this week, he did something, I can't remember what it was exactly, and I said, that was stupid. And he went into a moment of, you called me stupid. And I said, no, I never called you stupid. I said, that was stupid. And I'm telling you because I know who you are and you're cleverer than that and you know the right choice to make. So think it through next time before you get caught up there. And so that's my encouragement to us as a household and to each of us individually as we look at this, as we look at the power of our decisions. And we said it last week, and we can put that quote up, the quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. And we are making decisions, but we also need to be very aware that our decisions are making us. And we might have good intentions, but as I've said, the problem is this, is that maybe we're just not very good at making decisions, and so we need to look at this process. We need to invite God into it, and we need to make sure that we're walking in an honouring way with Him as we decide to pre-decide certain things based on values that we discover in God's heart and the kingdom. That we're going to choose to behave like this even before we hit the moment of needing to respond. And we see it all over Scripture. This choosing ahead of time. We've got that uh, next slide if we can put it up. When we faced with something. We see it whatever the scenario might be. It might be how we're going to spend our money. It might be what we're going to say to someone or not say to someone. It might be what we're going to look at or not look at. It might be where we're going to go or where we're not going to go. But when we're faced with a certain situation, we predecide based on the values we discover in God's heart for us. We predecide to take a certain action. And so last week we looked at six characteristics that we can all fall into and then decided that we're going to resolve six things. And we've made these I am statements. If you can put that next slide up, thank you. We made these I am statements that we're going to predecide who we are. So when we find ourselves in the moment, we'll know who we are. And because we know who we are, we'll know what to do. And so it's this resolution, I am. And now we know that God is the great I am. And that all of these attributes encompass His character and so much more is discovered in Him. But that is why we get to discover who we are in Him. And we get to take on these same characteristics. And starting on the left and we're looking at that today, here they are. We're going to, If you want to read them with me, I am ready, I am consistent, I am devoted, I am generous, I am faithful, I am a finisher. Those are all things that we get to live in and live out of out of the Father's heart, and so we get to pre-decide. As I've said, we get to make decisions not based on what feels good on the moment, but on who we want to be for the rest of our lives. And those are value-based des- decisions. And we say this, and why it's so important to discover the values is because when our values are clear, our decisions are easier. So we want to know what values are we living by. So let me ask you: How many of you have ever been tempted? If you don't put up your hand, you are tempted to fib to me in this moment. <laughs> Why do we give in to that temptation? I want to say it's often because we weren't ready. We weren't prepared for it. And so when it hit us, we weren't, we weren't pre-decided. And so we were sabotaged and, in a sense, pulled the rug under our own feet because we weren't ready for what was taking place in that moment. And we need to know that we need to be prepared because we've got an enemy who's looking for every opportunity, who wants to attack, In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13, and listen, I'm saying this to speak courage into you, not to speak fear into you. This isn't a condemnation message. This is an invitation to live in a new realm of liberty. Um, And so please hear what I'm saying. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. He's saying there's an enemy out there. You need to be these things. Um, In the commentary, Andrew Womack's commentary to that verse, if we can go to the next slide. He says, all Christians are in a war, whether they realize it or not. Being ignorant of the battle doesn't lessen the danger. It only guarantees defeat. And so we don't want to be ignorant of the battle, thinking it's going to lessen the danger. We want to know that we are wise to what the enemy is trying to throw our way. Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus says this. He says, watch and pray. Why? Watch and pray so that you'll be ready So you don't fall into temptation because your spirit is willing, but your flesh is so often weak. Now we know we've been regenerated, we are a new creation, and spiritually we are alive to all the possibilities uh, that we have in God, the kingdom within us, and that we get to enjoy the benefit of that. But so often that's not our focus. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak and it's responding to all these things around us. Henry Nouwen, a great author and a real contemplative thinker and Bible scholar, he said this while he was driving through the streets of LA, and they're true whether you're driving through our streets or just surfing the web as well. He said, I saw signs everywhere saying, use me, take me, buy me, drink me, smell me, touch me, kiss with me. No, not kiss with me, possibly. Kiss me, (laughs) sleep with me. And there were all these things grabbing and the flesh responding rather than knowing that the spirit is alive to the things of God. And so that's why Jesus is saying, be prepared, be ready, be prayed up. We need to have our guard up. We need to be watching. We need to be praying. And there are two reasons why we need to be prepared. Two reasons. The first reason why you need to be prepared is this, and I've mentioned it already is that the devil is opportunistic. We know when Jesus was tempted, he resisted the enemy, and the enemy went away and said, I'll come at a more opportune time. He's saying, I'm looking for the moment, I'm waiting, I'm gauging, I'm sussing it out, I'm, I'm conniving, I'm gonna make a way and a scheme and a ploy and a plan. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11 says this, be well balanced, always alert, because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly, like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. And I love this part, because we're talking about decisions and predeciding. Take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack, I love this, with strong, vigorous faith. Now, I'm not telling you to be prepared and be ready, because I think we are weak in God. I'm saying, no, in God, we need to make an intentional stance with vigorous faith. We need to be decisive so that we can see God's victory in those moments that we're facing. Because we have an enemy, and he has a mission. And John 10.10 10 says he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And he wants to destroy anything and everything that matters in the heart of God for you and for me. That, that's his mandate. That's what he's wanting to do. And 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9, Paul brings this challenge. And he says, I write to you. You wonder why he's writing. He says, I write to you so that Satan, the father of lies, will not outsmart us, outthink us, outmaneuver us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. He's scheming, and he knows where we might be vulnerable. He knows where we might be a little bit weak. He knows how to attack us, to take us out of God's will and his best for us, to hurt us, and even more than that, to hurt those around us. And so that's why we need to be prepared, number one. The devil is opportunistic. Number two, we need to be prepared. If we can go to the next slide. Because you are not as strong as you think. And I'm talking about in and of ourselves. In ourselves, we are not as strong as we think. We think we can handle a lot more than we actually can. I discovered this when... Uh, I finished my trick, and I went with a group of my friends to Sedona Bay. And uh, there was a little beach pub uh, on the sand or grass there, and we we went to it. And one of my friends had a certain drink that suddenly made him bulletproof, and he thought he could try and take on this whole pub. And let me tell you, sometimes the best. Form of a defence for a Christian man and woman. Sometimes the best form of defence is a clean pair of heels. And let me, took you out, let me tell you, I took out of that place quickly um, while I was pulling him along as well. And so we need to realise we're not as bulletproof in and of ourselves as we think we are. Um, if, we, if we read in one Corinthians ten verse twelve, it's speaking to those of us who might think, "Listen, I don't need much help. I can see my way through this. I'm capable." I'm confident in my abilities. It's no big deal what I'm facing. I'm not worried about it. I got it covered. It's nothing. I'm going to take care of this. And this verse says, listen, don't be overly confident, thinking that you're standing firm when you're not, because that's when you tend to fall. It says, uh, if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you don't fall. And it's talking about this thing of self-confidence. And if we read in the message, it puts it beautifully. The message says this, don't be so naive and self-confident. Forget about self-confidence, it's useless. Cultivate God confidence. And so in ourselves, we need to recognize where there isn't the strength, and we need to discover in God that there is more than enough, that he is the almighty God with whom all things are possible. And we need to see that shift take place. But I'm talking about in and of ourselves, because there's a study that's gone around that says people overestimate their ability to resist temptation. Do you know that? If you look at the statistics, people more readily overestimate their ability to resist temptation. And there's a technical term for it. It's called restraint bias. Restraint bias, and it's this. It's when you think you can fight off more than you actually can. I saw this at work this week. We had, um, as I was saying, the dinner with the worship team and the media team and production team, and um, they, they, someone delightfully bought cheesecake. And uh, you know your restraint bias. When you walk past it the first time, there's the cheesecake, and you see it, and you think, I can resist. I've got this. I'm able. And then you do the second time round, and you walk past, and you look, and suddenly the cake's gone, and there's cake all over your face and in your hair, and you're thinking, what just happened? My good friend, and governor had cheesecake on his cheeks as we were enjoying the meal uh, the other night. And it's because we overestimate our ability to fight off wrong at times. We, we, we think we can do more than we can. And, and here's the reason. It's because we don't often know how much energy resistance to temptation takes. And so we don't know that it's actually wearing us down emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, that we're in this place, that when you're engaging with temptation and resisting it, it can wear you down. And your willpower starts to wane. And maybe you've experienced like this. Maybe, um, how many of you work with crazy people? Harvest staff, don't put up your hands. <laughs> but you know, you're in that moment where you're in a crazy environment. You just want to unleash. You want to say things and do things and point things out and bring all your wisdom to bear where everyone else is wrong and is so crazy, but you don't because you're godly and so you, you don't respond like that. And then you go home And what happens? You unleash on the dog and your child and your spouse. And it's because of this, it's willpower. We start to get worn down. Our self-control starts to get worn down. And so we start to stop making good decisions and quality decisions. Uh, it might be like for me. I mean, I start off every day here at Harvest, and I've got some friends who come for a breakfast with me as well. And you'll know that I often order the banting breakfast, and I'm making good decisions. But as I face temptation, throughout the day, my willpower wanes, and I get home, and my banting turns into binging. It happens to the best of us. I'm not saying anyway. Um, this is what happens, because our self-control and our willpower has a limited resource Your self-control and your willpower has a limited resource. And the more we use it, the less we have. And when it gets worn low, we need to take time out to recover, refresh, and rebuild it. And that's why Jesus would often withdraw. And he'd spend time engaging with the Father's heart in in settings that would, um, there's a scripture that says that you prosper as your soul prospers, in settings where he could find his soul prospering again and spiritually coming alive again so that he could face the next moment that was ahead of him. And so we need to know that the enemy's scheming and he wants to wear you down and he wants to empty your tank. And so that's why we're gonna pre-decide three things. There are three things we're gonna pre-decide today. The first one is this. We are gonna pre-decide to move the line. Will you say that with me? Move the line. We're gonna pre-decide to move the line. Secondly, we're gonna pre-decide to weigh the cost. Say that with me, pre-decide to weigh the cost. And thirdly, we're going to predecide to plan your escape, predecide to plan your escape. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter six, and he says, this, "Man of God or woman of God, these three things need to define you. You need to be fleeing, you need to be following and you need to be fighting. Today we're looking at what it means to flee temptation, to show a clean pair of heels uh, when that shows up in our situation. So the first point is this: We're going to move the line. And I, I just want to quickly ask a, a small chance, but anyone got yellow tape here? Anyone got like some yellow tape that I can use for this illustration? John Jennings, you've got it. What a surprise. You would think that we predetermined this and made a good decision. Thank you. So what we are we going to do? Sorry. We're going we're to we're move the line. And it starts by making a line. Let me describe what this is and hope these genes up while I bend so low. (laughs) Skinny jeans weren't my wisest decision. Okay, so there's the line. And I want you to imagine, I don't know if the cameras can see this, but imagine a line here. And imagine this side of the line is God's best for us. And this side of the line is stepping over into that which is sin, which is separating us from God and His goodness. And here's the challenge that we face. I don't know about you, but whenever someone puts up a line and we think we can't go beyond that line, how do we approach it? Normally, we're not standing here and looking at it. Normally, what we do is we get right up to it, and we think, like, how close can I stand to the edge here before I go over? And you might look at me and think, George, I don't know what you're talking about, but if you've dated as a Christian, you know, non-Christians don't necessarily have the boundaries and the lines, but as a Christian, and if you've been in youth group, you know this line. You have sought spiritual advice about it. You've gone to your youth leader, and you've said, you know, holding hands, this side of the line. Cool. Um, if you, you uh, back massages in Christian settings, all good. Okay. Uh, what about full frontal hugs? And it's like, well, that's you right on the line. Okay, and, and so we, we get like that, and we, we're wanting to dance a little bit. We find ourselves in that situation. We had a young man. He's not at Harvest now. This man pre-decided to make the most of the moment. He would arrive at Harvest in a shirt that said, free hugs. And he self-appointed himself to our welcome team. And every lady coming through the door, he would, free hugs, free hugs. Um, he was trying to push right up to that line, and we had a few line backers who removed him from that situation. but we, we we tend to do that. We try and push as close to the line as we can. but here's the thing: when we know it's really dangerous, then we're not pressing up to this line, then we're standing a little bit back. I don 't know about uh, you if you have a pilot's license or a skipper's license or you've got a microlight. But I don't know anyone in that setting who thinks, I'm going to take to the air and see how far I can go with as little petrol as I can. I want to just, no, no one's doing, let's push that line. No one's saying, you know, let's see how close we can get the wing of our microlight to the power lines and just skim it as we pass by. Nobody's saying, I want to take my boat to Glen Ashley shore break and as it's peaking on the shore break, I want to punch it at the most vertical angle and see which way it lands. No, in those moments, we're standing far, Because we recognize the danger, and we don't want to get a little bit too close. And so we need to ask ourselves um, the danger in that moment to realize it, and that's where we get to the point where I'm saying we need to move the line. We need to find a new point that we're going to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to push up right to this line. I'm going to stay within, within God's best, within that place that can be called the radical middle. I'm not trying to flirt with the line of danger and destruction. I'm going to stay in this place. And maybe for you, it's that place of shopping online. I used that last week where you are, you are an expert uh, purchaser on take a lot. And it's amazing. Within a week, you get it. Amazon's coming, same day delivery. I'm not too sure it works in the US. Might be a few more days here. Not too sure. But um, you get to this place where you think, I'm going to put it in my cart. I'm going to shop. I'm going to Um, get ready for checkout, and I'm not going to overspend. I'm going to hold myself back. Uh, I can manage. No, you can't manage. Move the line. And what you do is you give a friend the opportunity to, um, when you're checking out your cart, that they have to put in a password with you or do something with you. Move the line. Maybe you're in the place where you're spending four and a half hours on Instagram. I know who you are. I get the video clips and you've got mine, and you're spending way too much on Instagram, I want to say I know your friends are interesting. They're not that interesting. Live life a little bit and pull back. Maybe you're going to spend 30 minutes on there, and maybe what you've got to do is get one of those restriction limitations for the app. That stops how much time you spend there. Or maybe you someone who likes to go out and you socialize and you you go to the club or the pub and uh, you only have a few drinks, but then it turns into more and you get caught up with the crowd and you land up where you don't know where you are. You land up in those spaces And you think, you know what, it's fine. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to hang out with that crowd. I'll have some drinks, but I can handle it. And I'm not going to land up in that place again. No, no, no. Move the line. Shift it start to put some predecided decisions in that are gonna keep you in God's best for you and your family so that you don't land up in a dangerous place. And so we need to be those that are making those predecisions. And you might say, George, why are you trying to stop my fun? Why are you gonna trying to be so restrictive? Why are you trying to be so limiting with these lines? David says this in Psalm 16, verse six. We can put it on the screen. He says, the boundary lines for me I want to say there are personalized, individualized boundary lines in the heart of God for you, for you, for you. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I want to say it's not restrictive, it's freeing, it's not limiting, it's liberating. You need to move the line because you want to inherit God's best. You don't want to settle for the rest. And so you need to move the line and trust in the goodness and delight of the Father's heart to give you an inheritance rather than to rob, kill, and destroy. And so the first point is move the line. The second point is we're gonna weigh the cost. If you've given in to temptation, I know when I've approached it, normally I'm like, I I want to experience this thing or have this thing or engage with this thing so much that um, what, what, uh, what can I enjoy without being... Found out, you know. That's the kind of mindset as you enter those moments. But I want to bring a, a different perspective, and I want to encourage you: don't weigh how much you can get away with. Start to weigh the cost. Start to weigh the cost. You weigh the promise that you have in God against the cost cost of what you don't have in Him. Start to weigh the cost and to predecide. To ask yourself this question: not what can I get away with, but what could go wrong? Here's the big question: We predecide what is the worst. Case scenario that could happen as I engage with this thing. Because some of us are thinking there's a best case scenario. I want to say there's a worst case scenario because when you, when you start to flirt with temptation, there's always a risk. And we're weaker than we think. And we have an enemy that's on the prowl. And so we need to start to engage with this. And so when we get here, don't think, oh, you know, uh, I can go a little bit further and I'll be fine. No, I, I want to say, no, weigh the cost here to stop yourself stepping beyond and stepping over. And maybe it's this, maybe the thing that you're engaging with now and apply differently to different individuals, but maybe it can cost you your job. Maybe it can cost you your ministry. Maybe it can cost you your reputation. Maybe the worst case scenario is that you lose someone that you love, financially wreck your household and your family's inheritance, and you compromise on your relationship with your kids. For five minutes of fun, you bring in future hardship and toil. And we need to weigh the cost. Numbers 32 verse 23. This used to scare me as a youngster growing up where we had fire and brimstone preaching and we had a lot of... uh, uh, left behind, syria all of those sort of things, and you would hear preachers come, and they say, when we're engaging with sin, you're sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure your sin will find you out. And I used to think, God knows what I've been up to, and He's after me. But here's the thing, the root of sin is unbelief. It's saying you're not believing the goodness of the Father's heart, so you're choosing to step into this thing of sin, and it's pulling you out of the bounds of His goodness, and when you go out of the bounds of His goodness, you may be sure that sin, your sin will find you out, because you are starting to place your belief, your confidence, and faith in things other than God. And Louis Giglio says this, sin looks so good, and it tastes so good. That's why we want to entertain it and engage with it. Sin looks so good, and it tastes so good, but it's wrapped in death. And Jesus isn't wanting your sin. Jesus took your sin once and for all 2,000 years ago on the cross. And it killed him. And he's come alive in resurrection life. And he wants to give you grace and favor and goodness and forgiveness. He's saying, get rid of your sin. Throw it away. Don't engage with it. Come and receive the fullness of life I have for you. Because here's the thing about sin. Sin deceives you to destroy you. Sin deceives us so that it can destroy us. But Titus 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God appears, and not only has it given us salvation, it does, it gives us forgiveness and mercy and grace and favor. Not only does it give us that sozo, wholeness in every area, but it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions that pull us off and away from God and to live self-controlled, not self-confident, self-controlled lives, upright and godly, full of hope, knowing that we have a soon-and-coming king. What a beautiful encouragement. So we weigh the cost, and we think, what happens if I engage with these things? Do I lose the trust and respect of those closest to me, those who've honored me and loved me the most? Do I lose the influence I have? You know, you see pastors falling in different areas and engaging with sin, and people get hurt all over the world, and they get their faith shipwrecked. And what happens if we don't weigh up the cost in these moments? And so we need to recognize there's a spiritual enemy and we need to make some decisions knowing he wants to attack, pre-decisions. And we move the line and we weigh the cost. And number three, my last point, I'm gonna end with this. We plan our escape. Why not you say that with me? We plan our escape. As I've said, as Christians, sometimes our best form of defense is a clean pair of heels. And the person we see this best with is in the Old Testament is Joseph. Remember Joseph and his multicolored coat. My wife says that I remind her a lot of Joseph. If you don't know who Joseph is, let's put up the scripture and you'll see why. She says I'm very much like Joseph. (laughs) Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Okay, it stops there, gets a little bit rougher past there. That's where I'm at. And Postapha's wife soon began looking at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demanded. Now, you've got to know how easy it was for him in this moment. Um, Joseph could just give in. He's far away from his homeland. Nobody knows him. Nobody has expectations of him. This would be a um, career-moving opportunity. He could easily engage with this, and it could meet his need um, as a young man. But here he says this, in this place. Well, let me say before he says, he could have easily given in because, listen, he could have also been angry with God because, God, you let me fall into this situation, You know, I did nothing, and my brothers beat me, and they threw me in a pit. I did nothing wrong, and my brothers sold me as a slave. I'm in this bad situation because, God, you let me down. And, God, since you didn't do what I wanted you to do, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And so he could have this attitude. And here's the danger, and this is what I want to bring to you, and we can put it on the screen. The danger is when we start to use our disappointments to justify our disobedience we need to look and see where there's disappointments in our own heart. Because don't do this. Don't say, my my spouse isn't meeting my needs, so I'm gonna have my needs met elsewhere. Don't say, God, you put me in the spot, so I'm just gonna live it up where I am. Don't allow your disappointment to justify your disobedience. And Joseph he predecided, no matter the situation, no matter the hardship, no matter the pain, no matter the confusion, no matter the lack of clarity or destiny in this moment, I'm going to choose to honor God." And he faithfully resisted. He said to her, "Your husband knows me as a man of God. How can I sin against God and him?" And you know what happened in that moment? There were no angels singing or bells ringing. The temptation didn't suddenly stop. She didn't just suddenly hear the wisdom in his words and disengage. But rather, verse 10 says this, she kept putting pressure on on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. I love that, because so often in that self-confidence place, we we think, no, watch, I'm going to flirt with temptation to show how strong I am, and I'm not going to go there, just to show I'm a man of God. So we, we get right up to that line. But here's David. He says, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep out of her way as much as possible. I'm going to be so pulled back within God's heart and his purposes and his desire for me. And you might look at Joseph and think, yeah, but George, he's so strong. No, I don't believe he was so strong. I just believe that he was prepared. He was prepared. And so one day when they were all alone, she comes and in this moment she's not talking, she's grabbing. Verse 12, she came and she grabbed, grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And scripture says, Joseph, there's no indecision. He's pre-decided. Joseph tore himself away. He left his cloak in her hand and he ran out the house. Why? Because he knew it was better to have a good name than a good cloak. I don't know what it is with Joseph and his cloaks. He had the one that was torn off him by his brothers and dipped in blood and goat's blood and all of that. Not, not, a great situation. Now another cloak has been taken. But you see, here's the thing. With the first cloak, his identity was in the cloak, and he found pride in that. But in this moment, he's not finding his identity in the cloak, but his integrity in the heart of God. And so he says, I'm going to protect my integrity. I'm going to let you grab the cloak. And so he lets go. And some of us might need to let go of things that are holding us back, holding us down, getting us in trouble so that we can let go so we can get going. God's desires and his purposes for us. And so he pre decided, he predetermined. And it was this in his case, if she grabs, I run. What what is that moment for you and for me? And the good news in this is God is faithful. We're not in this alone. His grace empowers us and enables us way beyond our capacity and ability so that when you are tempted beyond what you can bear, let's just put up 1 Corinthians 10, 13. When you are tempted beyond what you can bear, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He's not saying there won't be endurance. He's saying he's gonna prepare a way out so that you can endurance endure it. It's that victorious endurance that I've spoken about in weeks previously. And here's the thing. You hear about these predators and they come to kids and they say this, they do things to kids and then they say, and if you tell, I will kill you. You know what, I don't know, if, you know, they say, if you tell anyone, I'm going to kill your parents. I don't know if they know South African parents as well as I do. And the moms that we have that are ferocious, I don't know. I've got my little son and I've said, if anyone tells you that, you tell me, mom will take them out. <laughs> but here's the thing, with God, the enemy will come and you will say, no, you're trapped in this in pornography or in adultery or in overspending or in whatever it might be, in alcoholism or whatever it might be. No, you're trapped in this. There's no way out. You're limited. There's walls around you. But we sang today that there is a way maker. He is called the one who is the breaker forth, who breaks through on your behalf and mine. And he doesn't just pitch up as the way maker. He is the way. And he explodes it open in whatever situation we might be facing. He always gives us a way of escape. No one plans to derail their life. But how many of us are planning not to, intentionally? So I'm gonna ask you something. Here's the homework. As you go home with your spouse, on your own, before God, with friends, I want you to look and say, where am I vulnerable? Where am I taking my stand in my own self-confidence and not in my godly confidence? How does the enemy come to attack me? Is it pride? Is it ego? Do I justify and tend to justify my behavior because I'm mad at God and I'm saying, God, you didn't do this, so I'm gonna do that? Am I finding myself compromising financially because I find my identity in the things I can buy? Am I lying about myself to make myself look better and gossiping about others to make them look worse? Am I judging others and being overly critical? Am I carrying offense and unforgiveness in my heart, disappointment? Do you find yourself giving into temptations again and again and again, and you know that it's dishonoring to God, but you're not willing to address it? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you pre-decided? Do you find yourself taking God for granted or find yourself compromising in friendship circles and you're one person with them and another at church? I want to ask you to navigate this in your own heart, because we need to make some predecisions, we need to move some lines, we need to weigh the cost, we need to plan the escape, And you, you might say, George, you're talking like this, why, why are you so afraid, are you so weak, are you so concerned that you're not going to make it? No, not at all. Uh, I'm feeling strong and vigorous faith in God and who He has called me to be in His strength but I don't know how I'm going to feel in a week's time or a month's time where I'm going to be emotionally and spiritually and mentally because I know that temptation comes. And even though I might not be facing it now, it's going to come later. And my question would be back in that situation, why would I fight off something then when I can eliminate it now? Let's put that slide up on the screen. Thank you. Why would I resist a temptation in the future if I have the power to eliminate that thing today? I want to say spiritually we need to shift out of procrastination and we need to be prepared and we need to be ready to be armed and dangerous with the goodness of God and all that the kingdom has made available for us. And so we need to be moving the line, weighing the cost, planning our escape. And it's all based on values because when our values are clear, our decisions are easy. When I know who I am, I know what to do. So that when the moment comes in the future, and you might be facing it now, when you're tired. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're overwhelmed, when you're emotional, when you're depressed and vulnerable, your decision when you're tempted is not going to be based on your emotion in the moment, but it's going to be based on the values that God has imparted onto your heart. And so we get to do what I read in Proverbs 16, verse 3 last week we get to commit all of our ways to God our relationships, our friendships, our thoughts, our witness, our words, our family, we commit all of that to God knowing that he will establish our plans. He will establish those purposes that he has for us. So let me finish with this. I'm gonna ask you, are we ready? I'm gonna say, what are we? All I want you to say is ready, a a, a vigorous response in faith. What are we? We're We're ready. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you that as we speak into this, it's not in a culture of fear, or condemnation, or shame, or guilt, or disqualification. But it's in a culture of freedom and liberty, of identity and the values we get to engage with that reflect your heart, your goodness, your grace, your favor, your kindness for us. I thank you, Lord, that you would come and that you would start to just shine light on where deception has been operative. I thank you, Lord, that you come and loosen the grip that these various things have had on our lives in terms of sin, I thank you that you come and stir us up in vigorous faith so that we can be a decisive people that are choosing to live in the fullness, the radical middle of all that we have in you. I thank you, Lord, that you enable us to move lines where we need to, weigh the cost where we need to, and I thank you that you always provide us a means of escape, because you're the way maker, the breaker forth. So come and have your way in our lives, in this house, in this community. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say amen.